Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the great hall of the Institute of Technology in Zurich, Switzerland. As you have already read in the newspapers, a most amazing discovery has been made in this most peaceful of countries. It seems that Dr. Victor Frankenstein, once thought to be a character in a story, did actually exist and created what we have come to call his monster. The purpose of this meeting today is to hear, for the first time, the actual voice of the monster. Dr. Frankenstein made crude recordings of the monster's voice. The machine stands before us on the stage. It's a huge thing looking something like a bad dream out of a science fiction story. Two speakers are on either side of it. The recordings themselves are now being brought in. They, uh, they look like oversized tape reels. A technician is now placing one on the machine. Dr. Erroneous signals for silence. The lights are going down. The red indicator light on the machine has just gone on. And we are about to hear Frankenstein's monster speak for the first time. What kind of a sick school is this? Things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Stand up to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dino man! Up your nose with you have the hole. What? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off! Come to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to yet another fun episode of the Then Is Now podcast. I am your host, Vigor. We've got an amazing guest for you today and we're going to have a lively conversation. And one of the things we're going to be talking about will be the topic of monster kids. Now, even if you don't know what a monster kid is, chances are if you're listening to this podcast, you are a monster kid. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about that among many other things that will hopefully uh, you'll hopefully learn about. And maybe we'll be talking about stuff that you hadn't heard about before. And I think it'll be fun. So before we get into that, I get a little housekeeping here. We, um, If you are listening to this podcast, you may or may not be aware that it comes from a website called havenpodcasts.com. That's havenpodcasts with an S.com. 
check us out there. We've got all kinds of fun stuff. We've got a, a new review show called Cinema Enigmatico, which is Italian for obscure movies. Uh, we also have a thing called Scary Stories, where yours truly reads scary stories to children. Also, we've got uh, Ed's Monsters and Memories, then is now Blog. Uh, this podcast is there, as well as our other podcast, which is called The East Meets the West. And that's a show in which we discuss uh, Shaw Brothers kung fu movies from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And even not kung fu movies. Shaw Brothers made over 900 films. And uh, the second half of the show, we discuss Spaghetti Westerns, which are western movies that were made in italy from the 60s to the 80s also so if you're into those things or you want to learn more about them you want to go on a journey with us to discover the shaw brothers and spaghetti westerns then check out the east meets the west both of our podcasts can be found on itunes stitcher spotify and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from your favorite podcasts you can find us so check us out there, and don't forget to go to our website, havenpodcasts.com. Also, if you want to participate and give us your feedback on this show, you can email us here at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. That's thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Just be sure to put what episode you're referring to in the subject line. Also, um, we have another way you can communicate with us if you would like to leave us a voicemail that we can play on the air. We have a number for you to call. It's 978-432-9079. That's 978-432-9079. So sit back, relax, get ready to learn some stuff because class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? Oh yeah, I'm today. I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Woo -woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, hey, Beck. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. We lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now. And welcome back to Then Is Now. I'm your host, Rigor. On this episode, we have a very special guest. Now, this is someone who's been an inspiration to me and one of the reasons that you're hearing this very podcast right now. He's the author of Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case File series, the upcoming Solomon Group series, and the upcoming six-week rotation series of superhero novels. As well as creating the Monster Kid Writer blog, he also runs four, count them, four YouTube channels, including It's Pronounced Cook, Monster Kid Writer, Comicstalgia, and Monster Kid Radio. A podcasting legend, his resume includes former producer and co-host of Mail Order Zombie, producer and co-host of 1951 Downplace, one of my personal favorite shows, the voice and force behind the wildly popular award-winning Monster Kid Radio, and he's most recently received the Silver Bolo Award from drive-in movie critic and host Joe Bob Briggs. 
He's a writer, producer, and all-around talented guy. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor and my privilege to introduce to you one of the hardest-working men in podcasting and internet history, Mr. Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show, Derek. I'm going to hire you to introduce every episode of Monster Kid Radio with that. That was great. <laughs> I love that. Hey, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. You know, mired in, in technical stuff, but it's all fun. <laughs> That's why we do this, right? It's fun. Exactly. <laughs> So um, before we get too deep into things, um, I just wanted to kind of quickly go over the premise of this show then is now is to sort of discuss pop culture of the past and its relevance today. That being said, a a monster kid, as the name of many of your productions um, says, fits nicely into our discussions. Can you explain to those in the audience who may not know what exactly a monster kid is? Sure. So I've kind of taken the traditional definition of monster kid and, and kind of evolved it a little bit originally it referred to uh, those folks baby boomer types that grew up watching creature feature uh, monster movies on tv on the afternoon that sort of thing uh, they grew up with the aurora models and the original run of famous monsters of Filmland and things like that well i'm not of that generation i'm more generation x so you know, I, I'm not a first-generation monster kid, but I feel like I, right. I love these movies just as much, if not more so, than a lot of the people from that era. And, I mean, that's that's why I call myself a monster kid. Sometimes I call myself Monster Kid X, just kind of blending the monster kid and the, the Generation X part of it. Uh, <laughs> but originally, yeah. The, the, that's awesome. <laughs> originally, though, yeah, the monster kids were, were those who grew up watching this stuff on television, that sort of thing. They only had, like, four TV stations. Uh, they'd go to the the drugstore and on the spinner rack there'd be a famous monsters or, or some horror comic or something like that these days we have thousands of channels and the internet and access to so much material youtube and monster movies are everywhere if you know where to look so that's, right. that's kind of where i come in i think so yes and i consider myself a monster kid as well and you know i was going to ask you actually that question is so for example you do the the luchador May. Oh, sure. You, mm -hmm. you talk about the Santo movies. You know, uh, we all love Italian horror films. Does, does that also, can, can other horror, uh, I don't want to say genres, but other types of horror fall into the Monster Kid umbrella? I would think so. I mean, I don't ever want to get into the point to where I'm like a gatekeeper and saying, well, if you don't like this, you're not a Monster Kid or you have to like that or, you know. I think it's a little bit more dependent on your enthusiasm of the whole thing. Um one thing that I've learned and, and encountered over the years is that there's just something about the classic monster movies and the, the vibe that you get from these that inspires people to create, inspires people to connect uh, and, and congregate in, in online or in conventions and that sort of thing. I think, yeah, if you like the Luchador movies of the 70s and that's your bag, good for you. That's great. Come on in. You know, let's let's all get together and talk about the stuff that we love. And I'm sure we'll find some crossover. Right. Exactly. And um, so where did you grow up? So my dad was military. Uh, we moved up, moved around a little bit. I uh, was a military brat, Air Force brat. Uh, so I did. I don't remember my time growing up in Arizona, which is where I was born. But my, my earliest memories are from uh, Washington, Spent some time there, uh, moved to Montana, and then ultimately Wyoming, where I probably consider where most of my growth happened as, as a person. Uh, and then from Wyoming, I went to film school uh, in Montana, uh, Bozeman, Montana, Montana State University. Did a couple of years there, uh, didn't complete it for 
various reasons. And now I'm here in Oregon. So yeah, kind of all over the place. Nice. That's awesome. And was there, um, how do I phrase this? Was there like a specific defining moment, maybe a movie or a book or a TV show that just sort of either it lit the bulb in your head to put you on the path to become a monster kid or did you just wake up one day and go holy crap I'm a, I'm a monster kid I fit all this criteria <laughs> you know without really saying that out loud to yourself but just sort of knew it sure sure well you know generation x you know grew up in the 70s and 80s star wars was a huge thing right and i was a huge star wars fan before anything else uh, my earliest movie memories go back to star wars i i don't know how many times i saw uh, those films theatrically or, or on video. I remember racing home from grade school because I knew Star Wars was going to be on TV like five minutes after school got out. So I had to run home to make sure I caught the beginning of it. So I was a huge Star Wars fan. And I think that probably opened the door for the geek level obsession <laughs> that I started to have for, for all things <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy and that sort of thing. Uh, to get a little bit closer to the monsters... My parents did not let me watch R-rated movies for whatever reason. It wasn't a religious thing. It was just, you know, they I wasn't a grown-up. I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, which meant most horror movies were <laughs> off the menu. However, if the movies were in black and white, for whatever reason, those were deemed okay and somehow safe. So I ended up <laughs> drifting towards some of these black and white movies. And then, of course, I stumbled across the Crestwood House books, uh, that were put out I think they were released in the 70s I'd have to double check but they ended up in the kids section of the library and each one of these books was about either a classic monster movie by itself or a, a subject within the classic monster movie done like so mad scientists uh, that sort of thing or there might be a book about Frankenstein that would do uh, a breakdown or a synopsis of the original Frankenstein film and then talk about the sequels and other movies and that sort of thing. And I think that's probably where I first encountered Peter Cushing because his name got mentioned in one of these publications somewhere. But yeah, between those books and being okay and allowed to watch black and white monster movies, the the groundwork was laid pretty early for me. Uh, this was in grade school. So I, I think it was always there as soon as I stumbled across these books it kind of confirmed that yeah this is who i am and even if i kind of drifted away from it over the years yeah. i always came back to it right right you know i did the same thing going to the library i still have those crestwood books in fact I've, I've been reading them on my youtube page for people in the uh you know that are quarantined at home um but yeah there, there was a plethora of amazing books when we were kids that told mm -hmm. you all about the movie monsters and you didn't necessarily have to watch them but i remember my friends and i we all knew who Peter Cushing was and Christopher Lee and Vincent Price, you know, and it's, it's kind of um, interesting. I wanted to touch upon, you know, uh, most of us monster kids all know that many of our idols, and probably most of them, particularly the horror icons, they've all passed away. You know, we used to be guaranteed every year that there'd be at least one movie with Vincent Price or Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing that would hit our theaters and drive-ins. And, you know, it was always something I remember something cool to look forward to and we don't really have that anymore we don't have actors that don't mind identifying themselves as horror stars do you think we'll ever see something like that again you know i feel like we might have had like a good rush of that in the 80s uh you know robert england that that the slasher subgenre we had some people in there like kane hodder and those type right. but i in terms of like today man i can't think of anybody that 
strictly identifies as a genre person or a horror person and, and loves it or thrives in it. For a while there, it felt like a lot of people would do the horror movies to get into Hollywood or into filmmaking and then get away from it as quickly as they could. Right. Uh, because they didn't want to get, I don't know, anchored down by it or whatever. But I mean, you do have people like the Robert Englands and, and that sort of thing uh, that Lance still Henderson. do the cons and don't seem to mind being associated with... Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think I just saw that Jamie Lee Curtis signed up to direct a horror movie for Blumhouse. So, I mean, you still have some people that keep going back to their their horror movie roots. But, man, I don't know. There's no way we could have, like, another Peter Cushing or Vincent Price or anything like that. It's just, it's unfortunate because, I mean, we kind of need them. But... Right. Absolutely. And... um, may have sailed, unfortunately. I know. It's really too bad. But, um, so getting back to you... Not to get too depressing, of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, on a lighter note, um, what led you to podcasting? And, you know, tell us about your journey. You you started with Mail Order Zombie, right? And then went from there? Yeah, so Mail Order Zombie was the first podcast that I did, uh, that I produced. I've always been kind of the person that if there's something that I really, really enjoy, I want to be involved in it. Whether that's, you know, filmmaking, writing, fiction, uh very short period of time where I thought I was a rapper (laughs) Uh, and I just really loved listening to podcasts there weren't a lot of them back when I first started there there was a handful of horror shows but not a lot and I really wanted to get involved it sounded like something that I enjoyed doing and I loved listening to them so why not but there, even though there weren't that many horror podcasts, there were still a handful, and I didn't want to just be another horror podcast guy. So I tried to find something that was a little bit more specific, something that I grew up loving, which were zombie movies. So I ended up launching the Mail Order Zombie Podcast. There were only two other zombie podcasts at the time. One was more uh, focused on the literary aspect, you know, zombie fiction and literature, and then the other zombie movie podcast at the point at the time. Uh, so yeah, Mail Order Zombie came about, and the reason it was called Mail Order Zombie was because at that point, Netflix was still primarily a mail order service, and the approach I took was, if it's a zombie movie, you have to get through the mail, whether it's through Netflix or you have to buy it through Amazon, that's what I'd cover, Mail Order Zombie. That eventually grew a little bit and expanded, but that's how I got started, uh, was with that one. Um, and then... I just became obsessed with podcasting and <laughs> haven't stopped. So, all right. Tell- <laughs> Even when I took a small break from Mail Order Zombie, I, I kept going. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. And tell us about 1951 Down Place. That, I've, that holds a personal spot in my heart because I really enjoyed that show. And you guys had a lot of chemistry on that show. First of all, where did the title come from? So 1951 Down Place was a show that we started with or that I started with Scott Morris from Disney Indiana and Casey Criswell from Bloody Good Horror. Um, it was specifically Hammer films related and 1951 Down Place, the title came from that being the original address of where Bray Studios was. Bray Studio being the uh, hub, you know, really one of the main studios Hammer used during their heyday. So that's where the name came from. We had so much fun doing that. You said it holds a special place in your heart. It holds a special place in mine and Scott's and Casey's heart as well. That was a lot of fun to do. And and I find myself missing it these days. Yeah. And you pretty much covered all the Hammer films in that, correct? I mean, is there any more that you could do with it? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's still a handful. In fact, and Scott and I keep threatening to do this, we've got some episodes that we never finished 
we had some computer issues. Uh, one of us had some medical issues, so he had to bow out. You know, Casey had some problems. He had to bow out. Uh, he's fine. He okay. was just, you know, massive kidney Oopsie. stones, but, you know, yeah, he's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, in fact, we probably still have it. We haven't released it yet. We have a recording that we did about halfway through. Casey's like, okay, uh, kidney stones coming. Got to go. And he just bows <laughs> out. And that's the last time we ever heard from him. Uh, no, he's he's okay. That's but, funny. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, there's still a lot to do. There, there's a, a list of movies that Scott and I still want to cover someday. And it's not like we're going to run out of Hammer material. There's a number of film wars that they did. Right. Um, the TV series that they did. They did like two or three anthology series. And we always wanted to do Moon Zero Two, like their one hard sci-fi film that was trying to catch in on Star Wars. And we never got oh, around yeah. to it. So, maybe. Someday, nice. someday. I just watched that recently, actually. It was on TV, I think. <laughs> That's so cool. I really enjoyed it, too. And I, I love the fact, was it was it Scott who didn't know about Hammer films at all, walking into it? Yeah, he had maybe seen five Hammer films up until that point. Uh, and that was it. So it was a lot of fun to kind of take him. Not that, you know, I was any kind of Hammer films master or anything like that, but Casey and I both had a little bit more experience in the genre than he did or the, the subgenre than he did. And to have him along for like that new perspective that sometimes we as longtime fans forget about and don't have anymore because we've you know, just become so accustomed to these films and watch them over and over and over again to see Scott pick up on things that we have maybe forgotten or never saw to begin with because we're so not, you know, for lack of a better term, right. jaded, you know, we're so used to these things to have him along for the ride. It was a lot of fun. And that was a big part of the magic of downplay. And, and your promos were hilarious about him con completely misconstruing the word hammer every time. <laughs> that, that was all him. <laughs> Scott doesn't take enough credit for himself. And I wish he did. He's a funny guy. He's a great comedic <laughs> writer. And man, that stuff was great. That That's was so gold. Funny. Now, what's your opinion of the Amicus films? which they were sort of rivals to Hammer around the time, you know, at least in the late 60s, early 70s. Oh, I love them. I think they're great. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Amicus stuff. And we always joked, and we never did it, and maybe maybe someday, but we always joked that over on Down Place, maybe for April we would do an episode where we were no longer 1951 Down Place, but we were whatever we came up with for an Amicus show instead, just to kind of put it in there for Oh, that'd April be funny. Fools, you know? Um but yeah, no, the Amicus, funds are gr the Amicus films are great. They're a lot of fun. I like the anthology format. You kind of get in there, you get five or six different stories, and you get out. But even their non-anthology anthology films are solid. And of course, they use a lot of the same talent that Hammer did. So you know it's going to be quality. You got Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, you know, doing what they do best. Right. So yeah, no, I love those movies. Man, Dr. Terror's oh, House yeah. of Horrors, personal yeah, favorite. that's a great one. I have so that on Blu-ray. and In fact, my, the very first movie I ever saw, and of course I'm going to date myself with this statement, uh, was 1972. I was two years old, and I vividly remember, in fact, I, I posted this somewhere on, online recently, I vividly remember being in the, pa the back of my parents' car watching Asylum with Peter Cushing, the, the, you know, the anthology film. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what was funny was my mother and I, we couldn't remember the name of the film, so she called it Chopping Heads. So for years, we would laugh about, remember that movie, Chopping Heads, that we saw at the drive-in? <laughs> and then some way or another, I found it over the years, and I, I picked it up on a sidewalk sale at a video store on VHS, and, and it was just all from there, just kept exploding. 
That's amazing. I'd love to watch a movie called Chopping Head starring Peter Cushing. That sounds great. <laughs> I still, I'm telling you, man, I still have this vivid memory of the lady looking in the basement and the body parts wrapped in the meat paper moving on their own and the hand coming up behind her. And like that terrified the crap out of me. And I was two years old, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, oh, man, you mentioned what? finding it at the sidewalks, sidewalk sale at the video store. Man, that brings back so many memories. That's oh, awesome. yeah. I mean, video stores, that's another thing. That They had, what, a shelf life of 30 years, maybe? Most? And, like, my kids barely yeah. remember going to the video yeah. store. Man, I, I worked at a couple of, I mean, I was an assistant manager at a video store. Because what else were film right. going to do when you, you know, trying to get a job or whatever? You know, as, a, as a, you know, teenager, early 20s, you're trying to get, a, get work, and all you do is love movies. So, yeah. No, I worked at a Blockbuster. I worked at a video library just tons of places yeah that was so much fun that those were the days oh man. that's funny i worked at a blockbuster as well so it's our fault they're no longer around is that what you're saying probably <laughs> okay okay <laughs> but um what were you gonna say about working at the video store oh um it was actually through working at the video store that i discovered hammer films uh, for the first time we were doing some sort of local event i don't remember what the event was for uh, at the blockbuster but we had the local radio station show up and the one guy there man i wish i could remember his name but he was a radio dj and he was doing you know live spots from the blockbuster video between his spots he and i ended up talking about horror movies because he knew i loved horror movies because well everybody did because i wouldn't stop talking about them <laughs> and he mentioned hammer and i had no idea what hammer was outside of fleeting memories of reading about peter cushing in some book somewhere but i'd never seen any of the movies i, I knew what they were but that was about it and he's like okay hold on a second he ran home between his radio spots that he had to do came back and gave me two vhs tapes and he said, watch these, get them back to me when you can. One tape was nothing but the Hammer Dracula movies. And one tape was nothing but the Hammer Frankenstein films. And they were recorded in that EP SLP speed. So you can put like eight hours of footage on a tape. Wasn't the best quality, but I didn't care. I mainlined those movies and I was hooked, man. I was like, dude, this is amazing. So, Oh, yeah. 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 If not for Blockbuster, I don't know if I'd be a Hammerhead. You know? <laughs> That's it. I hadn't heard that term before in that use. Neither have That's I. Awesome. It just kind of popped out. I'm, I'm going to use that from now, and I like it. That's great. Yeah, I worked at Blockbuster Video in my late teens as well, and it was, like you said, you know, for those of us who, you know, we've memorized all the TV show themes and all the actors' names. I mean, heck, I, I can't remember to take the trash out, but I can tell you who the red, sh who the third red shirt on the left on episode five of Star Trek was, you know? Oh, yeah. That's the important <laughs> stuff, right? Right. <laughs> so... One of the things about this show then is now, uh, it was sort of hatched out of this idea I had. When, when my kids were born, I felt the need to bring them up to speed on all the cool stuff that they missed out on. And it really served them well. And, you know, they're teenagers now and they've been going through school and they get almost all the references that the teachers make. Or if they're watching a show, like I remember my son watching SpongeBob going, hey, that's the good, the bad and the ugly or that's Jaws, you know, and stuff. So I feel like, you know, doing this show, we can talk about things from the past and expose them to people that, that they may have missed out on. They may not have heard of, especially something like what we're talking about today, the Monster Kid and the Monster Kid Radio. So. Um, what is the goal of Monster Kid Radio? How did you go from the, the mail order zombie through 1951 downplace to becoming Monster Kid Radio? So part of it was, and I don't mind saying it now, it was a little bit of burnout with mail order zombie. I had done so many episodes and every episode 
we typically reviewed anywhere from two to three zombie movies. And, you know, I used to brag in, in all the press releases I'd put out or invitations to people to be on the show. We've reviewed over 500 zombie movies, TV shows, comic books, websites, uh, novels, video games, even a zombie opera. You know, all these different, just zombie, 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 zombie all the time. And honestly, you know, as much as I loved the George Romero films growing up and Tom Savini was somebody that I idolized through high school, I just was getting tired of it. And then some other things kind of happened in my life uh, that kind of made me reevaluate some things. Um, my grandfather passed away. And for whatever reason, that just really signaled a shift for me right about the things that i really loved and the things that i like to celebrate and that sort of thing i still watch the george romero zombie films and i still have a soft spot for a handful of the zombie movies that i watched back then but just they 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 lost their appeal a little bit to me not that my grandfather was somebody that was i associated with horror movies or monster movies growing up at all we never talked about the content no memories whatsoever regarding monster movies Hmm. from my grandfather but with his passing it just kind of something in my my head kind of shifted uh, so I, I ended up drifting away. There was some other drama stuff too, but whatever. Uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's just, I was, I was just ready to move on, but I loved podcasting so much. We launched my 1951 down place when we were taking a break from Mail or Zombie because I, I needed a break, you know, I was hoping to maybe kind of recharge a little bit. So while we were on hiatus, we launched the Hammer Films podcast, and that just further fueled the fire for the classic stuff and kind of reignited my love for the Universals and the Roger Corman's and the Vincent Price films and Cushing and all this other stuff. And I just found that I was having more fun thinking about watching and talking about those movies than I did with the zombie movies anymore. Right. I will be forever grateful for everything Mail Order Zombie brought me. It brought me some incredible lifelong friendships and relationships. It exposed me to some wonderful films and filmmakers over the years, and it really helped me develop what I do now as a podcaster. But I am having so much more fun with Monster Kid Radio <laughs> these days. Um, and, and I'm so glad that I kind of hopped into this particular subgenre. I was inspired a lot by Vince Rotolo over at the B-Movie cast. Yes. You know, he, was, he seemed to be having so much fun doing what he was doing. I wanted to play too. And he was very supportive. And we always talked about having him come on to Monster Kid Radio. I always wanted that to happen. Uh, because he was kind of like the guy, you know, yeah. that got everybody you know, psyched about it. Unfortunately, with his passing, that that's never going to happen. But I try to keep his spirit alive a little bit. In fact, I end every episode of Monster Kid Radio now by saying ciao. Oh, nice. Which is something that he used, that's what he used to do. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's my way of honoring Vince a little bit. I don't know if I've really answered your question. I've kind of just kind of gone all over the place there. Well, but. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's fine. Um, you know, and it's just funny, or not funny, but it's interesting that you brought up Vince Rotolo, too, because he's another one much like yourself. I think I discovered you and Vince and Rod Barnett all around the same time. And oh, wow, there's a trio. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and it really just, I was, I was coming off a divorce myself, and I was just not in a good place, and I just discovered you guys. And that, that for me is why I'm doing this right now is because I was inspired by you three to just, you know, talk about the stuff that we love and find an angle that hasn't been done. And it's clear that for you, Monster Kid Radio was sort of the culmination while, you know, yeah, you covered zombie movies and then you covered the Hammer films. There's still such a wide range of things out there. There's so much. I mean, you could go on literally for decades doing Monster Kid Radio. 
you know, I used to worry, actually. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started thinking, I'm going to run out of movies. It's not like they're still making movies from the 1950s. I mean, aside from people like Christopher R. Mim or Joshua Kennedy, there aren't new classic monster movies being made. But, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Now that <laughs> I kind of had that little <laughs> scare for a moment, then I realized there are so many movies out there. And movies that I haven't seen yet that are part of that particular uh, area right. or subgenre. I just... I love discovering new stuff, and even if I get to revisit something new or revisit something old, I get to take a new approach to it. It's There's just so much to really dive into, and it's so exciting for me to find something new to talk about. Even about an old classic or an old favorite like Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, I can talk about that one for hours, and that's your, days. That's your all-time favorite movie, right? Oh, yeah, hands down. And it really was before I even fully embraced this monster kid part of myself. And I just I loved that film from the first time I saw it. And it, so it's it's up there in your heart with Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, but he's he's just the man. The Gill Man is the man, right? You know, there's just something about it. I mean, I love my Wolfman stuff, too, and, and Frankenstein's monster. I love them all. I mean, right. ask me to pick my favorite kid. Okay, maybe I'll go with the Gill Man, but second favorite, I couldn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's another podcaster, I won't name names, but he's actually had an interesting thing that he said about the universal horror films is they're sort of like... They're reflections of, of people growing up. So, for example, Frankenstein represents infancy. You know, you're born into this world. You just want to be loved. You, you don't know a lot about a lot. You're trying to find your way in the world. Then you've got the Wolfman who represents adolescence. Your body's changing. You can't control it sometimes. Your emotions are out of control. And then you've got Dracula where... You know, you grew up to be a man and you want to dominate women and you want to be suave and you want to you be dashing and all that. And then you've got the mummy, which represents old age, where you're kind of going back down again, you know. And I, I thought that was an interesting analogy for life in the Universal films. That is interesting. Something I hadn't considered. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting take. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's it's really fun. So, all right, so on the show, I, I was looking at your website earlier, and I love going to your website because sure. there's just so much to look at and do. Um, but my, one of my favorite things is, and uh, when I'm listening to your show, especially when you have a guest on that hasn't been on before, you pull out this deck of cards. Now, oh, yeah. you know, here then is now, we're a rinky-dink, nickel-and-dime operation, so our budget can't afford fancy things like cards. Can you tell the audience the meaning and the perfect purpose of your much-vaunted cards? <laughs> so uh, I think you're talking about the classic five cards. The classic and five, I, exactly. And I know that's probably not the most original or creative name, but it just is what we started using, and it kind of stuck. I wanted to do some sort of, like, icebreaker type game on the show and it just kind of evolved from there the classic five is a card game that we play on every episode of monster kid radio when i remember there's been a few times i've forgotten lately and i regret it but the monster kid radio classic five it's a stack of cards each one of these cards has a this or that which movie do you prefer style question uh for example i just picked one up out right randomly right now uh the question is what is your favorite man in ape suit or man in gorilla suit movie so it's questions like that just to kind of get people talking you know like i said icebreaker type questions and of course these com these games always lead into conversations sometimes much longer conversations about the movies that we love so much right right and it's awesome that's one of my favorite parts of your show Oh, good. I Thanks, look forward man. to that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. In fact, that sort of, uh, in a roundabout sort of way, inspired me because I have a three-year-old grandson, and I, you know, we watched the classic horror movies, and I was quizzing him on on 
the actors and the monsters and all that. So I finally made my own set of flashcards. So on, for example, on one you'd have Dracula on the front and a picture of Bela Lugosi on the back with their names. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I made them for him so that he and he's like a, a master. And he's three years old. and He's a master of uh, Lon Chaney Jr. and Lon Chaney Sr. and Claude Rains. You know, <laughs> that's incredibly awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And it's just, you know, because I was thinking about your cards and the, and the questions, and I'm like, how can, I, how can I incorporate that into teaching him about what he needs to know? Because that's what we're here to do, man, is we've got to, you know, tell everybody about these movies and show them to them because they're not going to seek it out on their own. There's 500 channels and 20,000 streaming services, you know? You know, and I think probably when we were younger, we may have fantasized about how great it would be if there was all these channels with all the stuff that we could watch. But now there's so much, it's kind of overwhelming. And a lot of the stuff that we love gets drowned out by the newer and flashier stuff. So yeah, you know, between what I do and the various podcasters, the various horror hosts, you know, doing their thing. Right. Uh, various YouTube channels these days, what you do, you know, it, it's, it helps to keep this stuff alive and keep it going because sometimes they're even more relevant to what's going on in the world today than, you know, the current horror. Absolutely. Affair. And what, what is your opinion of, of the current crop of horror movies that have been coming out? So I don't watch a lot of modern horror much anymore. Um, you know, they just don't have the appeal to me that they used to. So much of it, I feel like, is because it's all flash and, and lots of CG. And I don't want to be one of these guys that's like, oh, it's CG, it's terrible. But to me, there's always a, a texture to something that is real, uh, meaning that if it's something that I know that I could go visit or hold in my hand and not just have to imagine it being on a computer, it just feels better to right. me and a lot of the horror movies now have so much cg in them there, there's this weird disconnect for me and, and maybe that's just me being older and maybe that is a oh i don't like cg kind of approach but i just want that tactile uh, inference with some of these films that i don't get anymore um that said give me a really good spooky movie yeah it doesn't matter what the technology is if it's a cg or a model or whatever i just don't find a lot of joy in a lot of the movies anymore and that's one of the things right. that universal i felt like brought there was always a sense of wonder and joy and yeah maybe you know everybody gets killed at the end by the monster but there's still a sense of wonder to it right exactly. you know it didn't feel so depressing and bleak that you get with a lot of movies these days man i don't want to come off as like an old fuddy-duddy is like oh get off my lawn you know i don't like these current <laughs> movies with your flashbang whatever but they just don't speak to me the way that some of the older movies do anymore and yeah and to your point about um about CG versus stop motion. Um, I think it was Roger Ebert who said, stop motion looks fake, but feels real. CG looks real, mm. but feels fake. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, he's spot on right there. Yeah. There were some things that I disagreed with him about, but uh, I would agree with him there with that. Yeah, for sure. Right. And it's just too bad. I mean, in my adult life, there was one horror movie um, called Henry Portrait, Portrait of a Serial Killer with Michael Rooker. And mm -hmm. a buddy of mine went and I, a buddy of mine and I went and saw that in the theater, and we were terrified to go to the car. It was it was that scary. <laughs> um, sure. We will return after these brief messages. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, 
Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Why, howdy, partner. How can I help you today? I'm looking for a movie to watch, but I... What in tarnation was that? Never you mind, son. Now let's focus on your needs here. I'm looking for something to watch, but I want something I ain't seen yet. Ooh, watch yourself there, partner. Why, I reckon you've come to the right place. You've come to the place where the East meets the West. The East meets the West? Where is that, and how's that going to help me? Ooh, that was close. You better duck. I don't understand what's going on here. It's like I'm in a place where kung fu and cowboys have combined somehow. Well, that's right, partner. You're going to find some offbeat films here, no doubt about that. Host Rigor is going to take you on a journey to discover not only the hundreds of amazing martial arts films of Hong Kong's the Shaw Brothers, but also it is spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns? Is that some kind of joke? No, sir. Western movies made in Italy from the 60s to the 80s are called spaghetti westerns, and that's a fact. You can find The East Meets the West on all the major podcasting apps, as well as havenpodcast.com. Well, thank you kindly, sir. You done settled my entertainment needs, even though it's a tad dangerous in your store. Like I said, go to your podcasting apps or go to havenpodcast.com. The East Meets the West, your new favorite ranch to hang out at. And now back to more insanity on Then Is Now. And then another one that pops up to my mind is a movie called The Descent, which was uh, from a few years ago about these ladies that go cave exploring, which remind me never to go cave exploring. Um, and <laughs> another friend of mine and I watching it, we were screaming like little schoolgirls through the whole movie. And this was about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, no. And, you know, my wife, she likes to watch, you know, some good scary movies too. But her standards are a little different than mine. Yeah. I won't say they're better. But <laughs> her standards are a little different than mine. Uh, and, and I find that if it's a horror movie that my wife enjoys, it's one that I enjoy too. And maybe, maybe she's kind of brought, classed me up a little bit, brought me up a little bit in, in terms of that. Yeah. Now I just won't watch anything that comes across. Right. Um, but yeah, we watched the descent. The descent's great. Uh, it's good and spooky and scary. And, you know, it relies so much more on mood than gore. Exactly. Even though yeah. There's some good effects work in it too. Yeah. Uh, and in, you can kind of, and I talk about this on Monster Kid Radio too. I, as somebody who thought he was going to be a filmmaker when he grew up, I like seeing movies where I know how some of these things were done. I like that DIY aesthetic right. that you see in a lot of these movies. And you see that in The Descent, knowing that, you know, they really didn't have a big cave system to shoot in. 
Right. <laughs> they had a set, maybe no bigger than a big garage, that they just kept changing the walls back and forth to make it look like we're moving to a different part of the cave. You know, I, I, I get that. And there's something about that that speaks to me on a subconscious level, whether I'm consciously aware of it watching the movie or not. Just knowing, there's a part of me knowing what they did to get to that point and seeing their success at it, that that really gets me going. Right, right. That's awesome. But the, but my point about that was that a lot of these modern movies, it's few and far between when they're genuinely scary. It's really the older films I find, personally, I find scary. Like a lot of the old Italian oh, yeah. films I find. Like oh, yeah. Demons and Demons too. I can't watch those alone. I have to have the lights on and somebody else in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched those movies in a while. But yeah, I remember Demons in particular being particularly unsettling. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. So on, on Monster Kid Radio, you play a lot of surf rock, which I love. Oh, yeah. I, I've always loved surf rock. How did that come about when you were in the process of sort of choosing what style of music to put together for the show? I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish I could give you a solid answer, and I've been asked this before. There is something natural about combining surf rock and 50s monster movies, and 60s especially, and I don't know if it's because the opening theme song from The Monsters feels a little surfy <laughs> in spots. I don't know what it is, but there's just a nice blend there, and I'm learning as I talk to a lot of the surf musicians, they love the monster movies too. They're inspired by them. They use monster art for their cover album, for their album covers. Uh, there's just something about the blend, you know, peanut butter and jelly, you know, it's, it's the perfect Reese's peanut butter cup. I don't know what it is, but they just go well together. And I love finding new surf bands to play on the show. And I've I found some bands that I absolutely adore. I'd probably put in my, you know, if I were to list a, uh, a collection of my favorite musicians of all time, I'd put some of these surf bands in there because they're wonderful. Yeah. It's just a, a blend. It's, it's just a magic, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so good. I, I really enjoy that aspect of the show too. And it seems like you sort of have, um, never-ending list of new new bands that come out. Yeah, so that's actually something that I do about once a month. Is I'll, I'll go on a, like a half-a-day tear on the internet looking for bands that uh, I've never heard of or have new albums coming out, that sort of thing. And then I just ask them flat out. It's like, hey, you know, I love the album. Can I play some of it on the show? And most of the time, it's, it's a, yeah, sure, no problem. I've only been turned down like two or three times over the years, which I've I'm blown away by hmm. that's awesome. <laughs> that, that that's actually happened, uh, that so many bands are excited to be on the show. It's getting to the point now to where some bands, like we just played a, a song from Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. They reached out to me and said, hey, we got this new album coming out. You've played us in the past before. We love the support. You want to do this one? Like, yeah, I'm all that's in. Let's awesome. do it. That's so good. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And that's one of those bands that I was talking about that if I had to put a list of my top five bands or whatever they're right up there right they're really good bands so check them out people you can find so many of these bands on places like Bandcamp. you know you get a lot of the independent musicians and you look look there and just type in surf and you're gonna find so much nice that's so good you know everybody's gonna be typing away after this <laughs> oh yeah yeah dangers of a ghost scorpion cannot recommend them enough awesome. so good that is so cool um so and they're not paying me for this <laughs> <laughs> when you think about all the episodes that you've done. I mean, you've you've got what, like, oh, almost five hundred Monster Kids, correct? Oof, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. We've been going for just over seven years now. Wow, and which is insane to me. And and Mail It a Zombie was like four years, wasn't it? Yeah, it, when I realized it was seven years, it really took me aback because I've always kind of viewed 
what I do on Monster Kid Radio is always being like a shorter amount of content than what I did with Mail Order Zombie. Mail Order Zombie felt like this big juggernaut that I produced and, and put out into the world and then started over. And I still am having a hard time wrapping my monster head around the idea that I have more Monster Kid Radio than Mail Order Zombie out there in the world now. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so when you think about all the episodes of all the different shows that you've done, are there any that stand out in your mind as incredible? Any particular guests that were just spectacular? Hmm. That's hard um, because one of my favorite things about podcasting in general, whether it's with the zombie show or Down Place uh, or, or Monster Kid Radio or anything else that I've tried to do, is it's always either brought to my life new relationships or strengthened existing relationships. And as much as I love the movies and I love talking about these movies, my favorite part of podcasting in general it's just meeting people and talking about a shared interest and learning from each other. So it's hard to say I have this favorite guest on Monster Kid Radio because so many of them have a different, unique point of view that doesn't necessarily align with mine, but it allows me to grow and learn. Right. And that's something that I really love doing is learning, you know, and just kind of experiencing these things from other points of view. It's hard to say, but I will say one of my absolute thrills with Monster Kid Radio was meeting people like uh, Victoria Price, who's Vincent Price's daughter, oh. uh, Sarah Karloff, who's Boris Karloff's daughter, nice. and then um, the late, great Julie Adams. Yes. I met her a few times. And that would not have happened if not for Monster Kid Radio. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, did you, uh, did you ever, when you meet some of these famous people, do you kind of have a little bit of fan geeking out? By accident, like you don't mean to, but you're oh. starstruck. Oh, oh, yeah. And I, I, oh boy, the first time I met Julie Adams, and I met her a few times over the years. The first time I met her was at a Monster Bash years ago. Uh, it was the first Monster Bash I went to, and I must have lost a good twenty pounds <laughs> in just fanboy sweat standing in line to meet her because I was so excited to chat with her. And wow, that that was a moment. I feel like I've gotten a little better about this over the years, but I still have that little fanboy inside of me, that little dare going, oh my God, we're going to talk to the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, when I talk to Rico Browning or something like that, you know, it's just, oh boy. Now, as I talk to them more, you know, they, I realize hey, they're just people like me and they're cool too. And we can hang out. Like I've, I've met with Victoria Price several That's times awesome. over the years and she's great. I mean, she's a person, she's just a person. But I still geek yeah. out a little bit thinking, yeah. hey, that's Vincent Price's <laughs> daughter you're talking to. <laughs> I remember I, I I was at the Horror Hound a few years ago, and I had Man. the chance to meet Joe Bob Briggs. And my I was so terrified. My buddy had to, like, drag me over to him because <laughs> oh. I was too afraid. That happened with me, actually. Uh, when we first moved to Portland, Oregon, we didn't realize that Portland was such a a comic book heavy town, lots of comic book creators and stores and all that. And there's a lot of local conventions. And my wife and I went to one and for whatever reason, Brink Stevens was at this little mini convention in Portland, Oregon. Wow. I don't know why Brink Stevens was there, you know, scream queen Brink Stevens. Yeah. I guess she had a comic book, but I knew who she was, but I was terrified to go talk to her. <laughs> I don't know why. It's not like she's particularly an intimidating person. She's a sweetheart once you get to talk to her. Right. Right. So my wife actually, brought me up and said my husband wants to meet you but he's too afraid to say anything <laughs> and then then they ended up talking about their mutual love of coffee for what of, of all things so yeah oh, uh, i've had that funny. same experience <laughs> that's a riot 
It's 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 so awesome what you do because you get to meet people like that. Did you ever get to meet Fori Ackerman? No, I always, I wanted to. Uh, it would have been amazing, but yeah, I never never had the chance. Had you? No, we corresponded via email back in like oh, the wow. early two thousands, just for a little bit. I I sent him a picture of my son with a famous monsters magazine and. You know, he loved it, and he was like, I can't wait for you guys to come visit, and I'll give your son a kiss on the cheek, and it just never happened, and then unfortunately, he, I was going to go to, uh, it was, um, oh, what's the convention in, in Virginia there? The Monster Bash, I think? Well, Monster Bash is Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, there's a big one in Virginia. It, yeah, it was one of those. It was one of those ones, and Creepy Classics mm. hosted it, yeah. and he was going to be there, and for whatever reason, I couldn't go. I couldn't get down there that weekend, and he passed away after that, and I was so bummed. Yeah. that That is the one downside to what I do now with Monster Kid Radio. With Mail Order Zombie, you know, you can get people that work on the zombie movies today. You know, you can get current filmmakers or people who worked on the movies in the 80s, that sort of right. thing. Um, you know, you can talk to Tom Savini if you can get his attention. You can talk to Lloyd Kaufman, which was just weird uh, <laughs> at at the time, I could talk to George Romero before he passed. You know, right. with Monster Kid Radio, it's so hard because we don't have them. Like you were saying earlier, we don't have those icons the way that we used to. So many of them have gone on, and all we have are the movies and anything they left behind. We can't really talk to Vincent Price or Boris Karloff or Bela Lugosi. Um, right. Maybe you can talk to their kids, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's, that's the one downside, I guess, to MKR. Right. But at least, you know, it's putting it out there for people to rediscover them um, as, as time yeah. goes on. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this is, it's so, it's so important, I feel like, to keep these things going. Not just because they're great films, but the history behind them, man. You look at the Universal Horror Cycle, that's not just horror movies, that's the history of Hollywood right there. Right. And Hollywood doesn't do a very good job of keeping their own history, so we have to do right. it. Right. By celebrating these films. Exactly. It was funny when leading up to this interview, I was describing you to my wife, trying to tell her who you were. And I, I explained that you were out there doing the Lord's work with Monster Kid Radio, you know, spreading the word of everything. <laughs> I like to I like to think of it as doing Godzilla's work. There you go. Okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> so now, obviously, you're much more than uh, just Monster Kid Radio. You're also an author, as I mentioned in the intro. And I think you've got even more books out than what I had um, briefly touched upon it. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, going back to what I said earlier about, you know, when I find something that I love, I want to get involved. And I loved reading as a kid and have been reading nonstops ever since. Uh, and so I wanted to contribute. I wanted to be a writer because I loved reading. And I, why not? So I've been poking around with pencil and paper since grade school and finally uh, decided to make a real go at it last year when I released my first collection of short stories featuring my uh, Monster Hunter character. You mentioned it earlier, uh, the Supernatural Solutions series, uh, Monster Hunter for Hire. It's a collection of short stories uh, about a particular monster hunter named Mark Temple, uh, and he gets hired out to take care of various supernatural problems, whether it's uh, you know a vampire in the basement or, or an airplane, uh, a werewolf on the side of the road, a zombie, <laughs> you know, whatever. You call, you call Mark Temple, and he takes care of it for you. That's awesome. Uh, there, there's, there's a small fee, but his price is negotiable, so it's okay. That's great. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I just, I love writing, and I've got that done. Uh, like I said, that is a collection of short stories. You can find it over at 
if you don't mind, a little plug. No, right MarkTemple.com. MarkTemple.com, and that's Mark with a C. Uh, we'll take you to the Amazon link where you can pick it up for yourself as either a Kindle edition or an Undead Tree edition if you want a print version. Um, there is a collection in the works. I'm hoping to have it done by the end of the year of more short stories featuring Mark. The character seems to have resonated with some folks. So, And, and I love the guy. He's been living in my head for over a decade. So to actually get his... his uh, adventures out on paper has been great so that's coming up uh, but right now that's the the one book that i have available but there are several in the works right uh, some that i'll be self-publishing or independent publishing and then i do have a book coming out from pro se productions later this year i think uh, depending on what their schedule's like and that's coming up soon to can't really talk too much more about that but i I have signed the contract, so we'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> cool, that's awesome. Good for you, man. And I, I could be mistaken, but I thought I saw your name on a book with Steve Sullivan. Um, the, the was it White Zombie adaptation? Mm. Yeah. So I have done some introductions for some people, and I did write the introduction to Steve Sullivan's novelization of White Zombie. So you can see that there. Uh, I've written a few pieces that have been uh, published in some of my friends' work. You know, uh, Doctor Dreck put out. A couple of books uh, he's a horror host and i've contributed some essays to some of those uh, i will be contributing something to an upcoming jim beard collection uh, later this year as well uh, so yeah i've done a few pieces here and there contributing to people's uh, work as well and steve asked me to do the white zombie introduction because of my male order zombie background and i was more than happy to do it right that's awesome and now so now how does the monster kid writer website fit into the grand scheme of things so that's Originally, it was going to be where I put all my writing stuff. I haven't really updated that site in a little while, so uh, th there's not a lot of current material there. It needs to be updated, and, and I do have some plans to get that um, dusted off a little bit uh, later this year. Uh, but yeah, that's primarily where I want to put most of my writing side of stuff. So my Mark Temple collections there, the book I've got coming up with Pro Se, just basically anything that I'm doing writing-wise is going to end up over at monsterkidwriter.com. So tell us about uh, your YouTube pages now. You've, it looks like you've got four of them. How do you handle all that with everything else that you got going on? <laughs> well, I don't. It's the thing. <laughs> so I have the creatively named Monster Kid Radio on YouTube YouTube channel. And right now that is primarily uh, the YouTube uh depository for all the monster kid radio episodes so when you download an episode of monster kid radio you can get it through itunes through the monster kid radio website over at monsterkidradio.net uh, various podcast directories have it or you can go to youtube and listen to an episode there there's really not a visual component to the podcast i think the cover art for the episode is just what you see when you play a youtube video from there but if you want to listen to your podcast on youtube for whatever reason nice. there you go every once in a while i'll upload a non-podcast non-podcast episode to that channel uh, but i haven't done that in a while and i do have some things in the works so if you're a YouTube user, please consider subscribing to that YouTube channel. Really easy to find. Uh, the other YouTube channels, the It's Pronounced Cook YouTube channels, where I'm going to put a lot of my uh, non-monster stuff. Um, I know it's it might sound like heresy, but man cannot live on monster movies alone. I know, I know. <laughs> don't don't tell anybody, but no, no. You know, I, I love other things. You know, I love 
know, we talked a little bit about the writing and there are other things that I have some passionate uh, feelings about and I will be putting some more stuff up there. Uh, you know, I've really kind of found myself falling deep into the Lego community of all things. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I'll be putting a lot of, of Lego material and content over at It's Pronounced Cook as well as a few other things here and there. So that that's where that's uh, And then you mentioned four channels. What are the other two? Comic Solution? Yes. So I had grand plans for Comic Nostalgia, and uh, actually I'm putting that back on the schedule now. I grew up loving comic books. I think like a lot of monster kids and, and geeks of our ilk and, and nature, you know, right. we, we loved comics growing up. And uh, over the years, I kind of drifted away from them, uh, you know, just kind of financially it became a thing. It's like, yeah, you know, they're so expensive now. Oh, and, my God. You know, they just they don't feel so epic anymore. You know, I could spend... I remember distinctly, man, I would pick up a Chris Claremont X-Men comic in the 80s and I'd read it in half an hour, you know, I'd go by and I'd still be reading the comic because it was just so great and dense and so much stuff going on. Now you read a comic in five minutes. Right, yeah. And it's like, it just doesn't seem as fulfilling. So I kind of drifted away from it. But with the MCU films and all that, it kind of reawakened my comic nerd. So comic nostalgia is where I do plan on doing more... um, exploration and deep diving into my fandom as a comic book kid growing up and kind of re-engaging with that. I was going to launch this last year, but then some things kind of got in the way. I, uh, everything's fine now, but you know, I had some mental health stuff, so I wasn't able to con- really commit to it. But later this year, I'll be relaunching the series that I call Reading the Avengers, where I'm going to read every single issue nice. of every single Avengers comic and all their spinoffs, and then do little short YouTube videos about every single one of oh, them. That's awesome. And when I told one of my... F- <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, uh, especially now that you can read almost all those Avengers comics legally online <laughs> and not spend all the money for it. I told one of my friends about that, though, and he's like, dude, you can't just do one comic and a YouTube video. I was like, why? Why not? Because you'll be doing YouTube for like 50 years to get it all in. I was like, well, you know, I'll see what happens. So, yeah, that'll be uh, starting up here later this year as well. So, yeah, uh, let's see. This, that's three. What was the fourth one you asked me about? Because uh, I have a few that I've started but then didn't. Was it Monster, Was it the Monster Kid Writer channel? Monster Kid Writer, yes. That was the fourth one. Yeah. So the Monster Kid Writer channel uh, – is in the works right now i want to turn that into like a an interview kind of channel where i'm talking with other monster kid creators and writers like trying to get some things worked out where i have Stephen d sullivan come on to do like a little back and forth either google hangout or youtube chat with him that sort of thing i want to do like little interviews kind of promoting various monster kid creators and writers because i think you know, it's important for monster kids to support other monster kids. Absolutely. That's, like I said, you're doing the Lord's work. You're doing Godzilla's work, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one other thing I wanted to bring up was um, I know that you've talked about um, Universal's attempted dark universe um, quite a bit. Okay. What, what, <laughs> what is the final outcome with that? Was this last Invisible Man movie, was that the death knell of the dark universe or the beginning of something they're attempting? So... Boy, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> as much time as you, man. You know, Universal just can't seem to figure it out. Maybe they have now. Maybe they're on the right path now. But they've tried to relaunch their Universal shared universe so many times over the years now. And, and I think the closest they got was probably The Mummy. And if not for a few things that happened with that, it might have been the beginning of something great. Who knows? My understanding now is that 
there is no longer a unified dark universe uh, initiative at Universal. And, and maybe I'm wrong. And listeners uh, of this podcast, if you know any different, I'd love to know because I mean, I have a vested interest in the Universal Monsters, but my understanding is that Universal is now working with smaller uh, production companies to have them pretty much do their take on the Universal Monsters. They don't necessarily have to overlap or interconnect or have a shared universe. So with the Invisible Man, which actually I thought turned out okay. Hmm. I haven't the seen it. Invisible Man actually. was kind of like, you know, it's it's all right. Um, I have some issues with the actress uh, Elizabeth Moss, but you know, overall, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, as a performer, she's fine. Uh, as an actress, she's great. I just have some weird associations with her that I anyway longer. Story. Oh, is she the one that uh, was in Handmaid's <laughs> Tale? Yes. Oh, okay. That's her. Yeah, and and she's great in that too. Uh, there's just something about that film that uh like i said it's 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 not bad it's actually pretty good and i i was glad to have watched it um but it doesn't have that same sense of whimsy as the original invisible man did but then i i knew going into it it wasn't going to right um but yeah so my understanding is that with that movie being as successful as it was and it didn't have to hit the same marks that the mummy did with tom cruise because it wasn't nearly as expensive to produce that Universal is going to go ahead and move forward with these smaller productions. Uh, again, they're not going to be interconnected films, unfortunately, but my understanding is that there's a, a Bride of Frankenstein potentially in the works. Uh, right. A Monster Mash movie, for whatever reason, <laughs> is in the works. Uh, an Invisible Woman in the works. So who knows? Oh, interesting. I, I, I don't think we're going to see that shared universe the way that we wanted to, but maybe you just can't capture that magic again. No. Uh, well, I, I mean, you need someone like a like a Joss Whedon, someone like yourself who is is so in tune with these films and grew up with them, knows what needs to be done. You know, rather than a bunch of suits sitting around a table going, well, let's turn the mummy into an action movie and we'll have comedian Brendan Fraser be the lead. You know, it's like, what? No. <laughs> well, and you know, so the Brendan Fraser mummy films, they weren't awful. I mean, they had some abysmal CG effects, especially the second oh, one. Good. Oh, my. Uh, with The Rock. I mean, come on. That was. Oof. Yeah. But. You know, they're not bad. They're fun rides. They're romps. And they never try to get any bigger than they they are. You know, they know what they are. Whereas with the Tom Cruise, the mummy, I think they really, man, they missed the boat so hard on that. They, they tried. And there are some elements in it that I kind of like, some ideas that I kind of like. But, man, they really missed the mark on a lot. And I think part of it is because they wanted to turn it into an action movie. They put Tom Cruise in it, and it had to become a Tom Cruise vehicle as opposed to a mummy vehicle. And that... That's not the approach you want to take. Right, right, exactly. I feel like. Uh, and, and then something about Stephen Summers. I just don't like his bombastic filmmaking methods. <laughs> you know, I well, and, and no, that's valid, man. I was not a fan of Van Helsing. Um, I, I wanted to like it because I knew he was a monster kid. And if you watch some of the behind the scenes or interviews with him that came out around that time that Van Helsing came out, he talks on and on and on about how much he loved watching these movies with his dad. And he made these movies for his dad. And I thought, well, that's that's cute. You know, that's sweet. That, that's great. He gets it. And then all the CG and then all the like you said, the bombastic over the top flashbang. It's all sizzle, no steak. man. Right. Right. And that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, I. Van Helsing is one of those movies that I think it's it's awful. I would never recommend it to anyone. However, once in a while, I enjoy watching it, <laughs> even though there are things like uh, the Wolfman's Human 
And then, oh, the cloud moves. There's the moon. Oh, now he's a wolf. Oh, the cloud went over the moon. Now he's a human again. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I always go back and forth because on the one hand, these stories, they have to change and kind of grow over time, right? They have to to evolve a little bit. But these are icons. These, These are staples, man. You can't. You can't have a vampire walking around outside just because it's cloudy and now they sparkle. Right. I mean, there are, there are certain things about these these tropes that have, you know, very specific rules that identify them as vampires, werewolves, or whatever. Right. Uh, Van Helsing's got some great music. Yes. Alan, Alan Silvestri did the score to that, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's got some neat set pieces and, you know. But it's just. Kate Beckinsale in a leather corset. Well, I mean, that, that's great, too. <laughs> you know, and. and but. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of missing something. So when we're talking about, say, the Universal Classics and the Hammer films, so the Universals will say roughly the 30s to the 50s, and then Hammer was the 50s through the 70s. Do you think that both both sets of monster movies have equal footing in the modern world? Do they hold up with today's audience? Hmm. I'm biased. So, of course, I'm going to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) But... I think you're probably going to have an easier time introducing somebody to these movies by going through the hammer route just because they're in color. There's a little bit more blood. There's a little bit more sex. Uh, and, and it's an easier sell, I suppose. Right. It, it's closer to what we see now in modern filmdom, despite all the gothic trappings. You really don't see a lot of anymore, at least unsuccessfully. But that said, man, I, I love what you said earlier about the Universal movies being, you know, the Frankenstein, the adolescence and the Wolfman and the Dragon. Yeah. I love that. That's great. And I see that more being relevant than a lot of the stuff that's happening in Hammer. I love my Hammer films, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I, I think Universal has the opportunity to have more metaphor. Right. And, and, and man, it's just more history, too. And that. I, I I told that whole thing to my son one time, and he said, and, and what's the gill man when you join the high school swim team? <laughs> <laughs> now, the gill man would probably be when you finally, you know, end up with the, the girl that you've been dreaming of, uh, over for a long time, and then some high school jock comes and seals her away yeah, from yeah. you. <laughs> Kicks sand in your face. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, the creature, though, <laughs> that really is one of those uh, awesome movies that just sticks with you, especially if you watch it at a young age. It's just, it's like the Gill Man and the Wolf Man. They just kind of leave this impression, at least on me, um, in terms of oh, how sure. awesome they are. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Especially if you watch them at just the right time. You know, you, like you said, with what you were saying earlier, the analogy, the, the wolf in your body's changing. You don't really have control over it, that sort of thing. You watch these movies as a male adolescent, and, yeah, they, they're going to speak to you, man. They're, they're going to really get inside you and make you think. Yeah. It's good stuff. Absolutely. And maybe help you cope. Right. And speaking of coping and thinking about the future... We've got this coronavirus thing going on. Most of us are, are quarantined or we don't really leave the house all that much anymore. But I see a silver lining in this. I see the drive-in theaters starting to make a comeback. Do you think this yes. is going to be a true renaissance of the drive-in? Are they going to be making movies specifically for it like they used to? I don't know. Um, I would love to see more drive-in specific type movies come out. I don't know if... 
they have the same place in the community that they did back in the 50s and 60s when they were really kind of thriving with that drive-in type of of movie you know they have to bring in the big movies the big budget films to get the audiences to come back we have a theater here a drive-in theater here in oregon uh, called the 99w and they they are reopening this weekend with everything going on in the world they were able to you know come up with a way to safely reopen They, they have to limit how many people they let in and you have to make reservations and all that but to kick things off they're showing the new trolls movie and that's not my bag man right. and i get that <laughs> you know whatever but they aren't allowed to bring in as many people as they want to and they need to ensure that they have enough people coming in so they've got to bring in a big budget film sam sherman however <laughs> has been making noise online about making dracula versus frankenstein available to drive-ins again it's like a road picture right which i would love to see at a drive-in That'd setting awesome. would a drive-in movie theater around here play it i don't know yeah but I would love to see it, man. I think that for now, for people who want to see a monster or just see a movie in general, the drive-in is probably your safest bet. Will that continue once we kind of get a handle on what's going on in the world today? I don't know. I would love to see it happen. Yeah. It, it's really but who knows, it's really man. difficult because, you know, what kind of killed them um, was the property taxes got too high back in the 80s and then yeah. they, they just yeah. couldn't afford it anymore and they you know they weren't always playing first run films you know now most of them are but you know that that helps keep it keep it going i mean we've got like four drive-ins i think in maine here and there's a couple in new hampshire and one in mass and they're, they're they've all been thriving for the last few years so it just needs a boost you know, if a That's few great. other people can get out there and put a few more up, it'd be awesome. That's fantastic, man. You know, and when the studios decided to go all digital, you know, and, and that killed a handful of drive-in movie theaters too because suddenly they can't show film prints anymore because Universal doesn't make those available or Paramount or MGM or whoever. Right. You had to go all digital. I, I don't you remember that happening a few years yeah. ago when oh, that happened? Absolutely. And there's this big push to kind of help drive-ins get the yeah. digital projectors. Yeah. Uh, the 99W is one of the ones that, got one from that contest that honda was running or whatever um but even in that case where they were awarded a digital projector the 99w still had to sink a bunch of money into updating the projection booth because suddenly you have these huge high-tech machines that are so much hotter they generate so much more heat than just an old projector despite the projector having this huge bulb or whatever these computerized systems suddenly require ventilation and cooling and all that so even if they got the projector handed to them they had to upgrade their ventilation and everything else and it just cost so many of these theaters so much money to do it right so uh, upwards of like eighty thousand, i've heard yeah it was nuts so i'm sure that really kind of hurt some of these places too, mm. you know, property taxes, people wanting to do different things with the space, right? You know, the drive-in here. I mean, it's a, it's a nice lot. It's not one of the bigger drive-in lots, but it's a nice lot. But I can imagine somebody looking at that and saying that'd be a perfect place for a couple of you know a couple of stores, maybe a strip mall, yeah, that sort <laughs> and of thing, and make more money on on a regular basis because the drive-in's only open on the weekends, and here, it's and it's only open a few months out of the year. Well, it's true. It's definitely seasonal around here as well in Maine. When I look at a golf course, I think of how many drive-in screens I could put up. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> I have this fantasy and I, I don't think it'll ever come true, but I used to think that my perfect retirement job would be to own a drive-in movie theater Yeah. just because I feel like it's so important to hold on to that. It was such a unique experience in American pop culture. And it was also big down in Australia for some reason. It was kind of big down there too, but it's almost strictly an American thing. Yeah. And I, I wish we had it. I know. Um, to kind of go back to my, my film school days, when I was driving to go to film school, uh, I was driving from Cheyenne, Wyoming to Bozeman, Montana. I could make that drive in about 10, 11 hours, right? And wow. I would always think that I'd get up early in the morning and drive all the way through, but, you know, never did. I got real close to the border between Wyoming <laughs> and Montana and thought, okay, I just got to call it. It's just too late. I, I got to find somewhere to sleep. I didn't want to check into a hotel because that was a little bit more expensive than what I had money for. But this small town had a drive-in movie theater and they were doing a from dusk till dawn screening for like 20 bucks. You come in and watch whatever movies, you know, all the movies they were showing all day, all night until the following morning. And I thought, you know what? That's what I'm nice. doing. So I didn't stay in a hotel that night. I pulled into the drive-in and I fell asleep watching Die Hard 3 at the drive-in. <laughs> And the next morning around six, seven o'clock, I woke up and drove out and kept on going to film school. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Oh my God. That is so cool. <laughs> so, um, all right. So what have you got coming up for, uh, anything we should be looking out for, uh, above and beyond just monster kid new episodes. Yeah. So new episodes of monster kid radio every Thursday, late Wednesday night, Thursday mornings when they're typically available. Uh, if you subscribe to them through iTunes or whatever, you're going to get your every episode or, or YouTube. They're always going to be there for you. And, of course, you can go back into the archives and listen to all the previous episodes, too. Uh, like I said, I've got the new Mark Temple book that will be coming out later this year, and then the book that I'm doing with Pro Se as well. Uh, the YouTube stuff's going to get a little bit beefier as well. And then every Saturday I've been doing these screenings. Oh, yeah. And I'm probably going to keep those going as well, uh, even once things kind of normalize in the world. I'd like to keep them going for a while. We call it right now Social Distance Saturday, but hopefully we won't have to keep socially distant forever right <laughs> um but basically what i do is monster kid radio has a twitch stream now over at twitch.tv slash monster kid radio and every saturday for a good 9 10 11 hours i'm showing movies and there's a live chat going uh it's usually public domain stuff because you know i want to keep it all above board and legal and all that but there's some great public domain monster movies out there and horror movies out there uh so yeah we're doing that every weekend Typically starts around 11 a.m. Pacific, where I start like a pre-show, typically about an hour. And then around noon, um, again, Pacific, the movies start. And it's a nonstop run of classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema. A couple of TV shows, maybe a music video, and tons of trailers. And we've had so many people pop into the Twitch and the conversation. I mean, the movies are great, but the conversation is so much better. It's just fun to hang out with your fellow monster kids. From around the world. I know we've got people down in Mexico that come in and, and hang out with us while we do that. And it's free. So if you want to pop on over, join us every Saturday. We'll, we'll be there. And that's that's awesome, Derek. It's Especially it's just such a service. But it's also getting the Monster Kids together, keeping it alive, keeping the discussion yeah. going. It's more than just us all watching Creature Features on a Saturday afternoon. It's like now we can participate and discuss with other people. And I think that's just wonderful what you're doing there. Oh, yeah. And it's it's fun for me to kind of program this stuff. I spend maybe about a day and a half, and I probably shouldn't. I should be doing other things with my time. But I spend about a day and a half programming the event, programming the weekend, uh, just trying to find stuff that not everybody's seen. 
because there's some there's some real gems out there that if you go looking, you're going to find some really cool stuff. There's an old TV show called One Step Beyond. Yes. Uh, it's an anthology show. Yep. And it's in the public domain. And every weekend I try to play an episode of that. And that's usually one of the things that gets the biggest reception. The best reception is an episode of One Step Beyond. You know, I'll spend hours putting together five, six hours worth of movies. And this 22-minute episode of a TV show gets the best response. So, you know, you never know what you're going to find <laughs> if you go digging for it. That's awesome, dude. Um, so good. And we do try to play a couple of games, a couple of rounds of the Classic Five during these as well. Because there's this live chat, I'll come on and use what my vo- my wife calls God voice, where I just come kind of start talking to people <laughs> through the stream. Uh, and, and I'll pull some cards from the Classic Five deck, and we'll start playing a little bit of the Classic Five. So that'll be uh, something that we do, too. And we have some new versions of the Classic Five coming out, too. Uh, we've got some nice. new decks, some new expansions coming up. Uh, we've got the Kaiju expansion deck, which I've never made available for sale anywhere. That'll be coming up here and available for people. And you can pick that up over at tinyurl.com slash classic five. Excellent. That's wonderful, man. So good. Um, so uh, one last thing is uh, I'm going to mention, but I don't, I'm actually not going to mention it, is that we've you and I have got... Uh, another episode on a different show that we're going to do and that's coming up mm-hmm. i just want to keep it a surprise just for now for the audience but i hope everyone looks forward to seeing what it's going to be and derek it's been a real honor to have you on the show and we hope you come back again on then is now oh i'd love to we didn't even talk about six week rotation or anything else i've got come up so uh yeah we'll use that for a part excellent two. <laughs> sounds great man this is i'm looking forward to our next episode listeners i don't want to spoil it either because roger said he didn't want to but uh I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be some good movies that we're going to talk about here soon. Cool. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of Then Is Now. We really had fun talking to podcasting maestro Derek Cook. We hope you check him out at monsterkidradio.net. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. His show is just fantastic. Okay, so that wraps episode five of Then Is Now. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you want to give us your feedback on this episode, you can email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. That's thenisnow42 at gmail.com and uh, if you would rather leave us a voicemail that we can play on the air then we have a phone number for you to call it's 978-432-9079 that's 978-432-9079 and uh, once again we hope you enjoyed this episode here at then is now we love to talk about 
pop culture from the past, um, all the cool stuff that you probably missed out on, stuff that you should know if you go back and listen to our little opening. All those phrases are from movies and TV shows, and they're phrases that everybody should at least know. Okay, so that's it. I'll get off my high horse here now, and we hope to see you again next week, or we hope to hear you, or no, wait, we hope for you to hear us. Anyways, join us next time for episode six, and we'll have more fun stuff, and maybe you'll learn a thing or two while being entertained. Class dismissed. Right on, man.